We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Blue Wire. Hello and welcome to the Eurostep episode 28. I'm Kane Pittman and I am joined by Ty Windish as always and we now have a series in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Bucks go down 118 to 112 in double overtime in a wild game in Toronto and really a game that probably shouldn't have gone to overtime in the first place but Toronto continually gave the Bucks chance after chance to try and take the game and the Bucks just were not able to finish it off. Uh, Ty, uh, did you survive that one? I did. I, I've never been more invested in a Bucks game. Something about just knowing that it could basically end the series. The way the game was probably, in my opinion, maybe the most frustrating game of the season. Definitely up there. I mean, there's not that many to pick from, luckily, based on how, how well the Bucks have done this season. But And then I think compounding it all. Public enemy of Milwaukee, number one, Drake, really making a spectacle out of himself. I mean, this game had it all in terms of having me on the edge of my seat, guzzling my tea, just in a whole mood, Kane. Interesting. That's that's a couple of interesting takes. Obviously, you were watching at home. I was, or I am in Toronto right now. I uh, just got back to my hotel room from the arena, and I did not really notice Drake at all because I was at the arena and uh, and uh, I, I guess by the sounds, it sounds like he was carrying on and I probably shouldn't be too surprised. But for Milwaukee, just a, really an awful night for the starters. And, and we, we've, this is one thing we've spoke about with the Bucks. They can get away with having, uh, you know, one or two key guys down. Uh, that's something that they've been able to uh, work through on multiple occasions and win games because they always have guys step up. 
I really can't remember a game this season, and maybe that game in Miami, I guess, uh, where they lost on that horrific back-to-back coming back from Boston. Uh, maybe that was a game where really none of the starters got it going. I'd have to look back at the box score on this one, but gee, the starters tonight struggle right across the board. They finished 19 for 69 from the field. That's 27%. And in a playoff game on the road, uh, that's not going to be enough to get it done. And not only is it not enough to get it done, that should be enough to get yourself comfortably blown out. <laughs> Somehow uh, they, they take it to double overtime. And I guess if you're really you know, looking at, at the game from a broader perspective, then maybe you could look at this as potentially a wasted opportunity, even though I, I don't think they really uh, deserve to be that close. No, I, I don't think they did either, but you squander a great two great games uh, from bench players, as you said. No, I mean, Brooke was pretty good, I thought. Not great on defense. He needs to really – I think between now and game four, Brooke Lopez should do nothing but watch clips of Mark Gasol blowing by him over and over. Like, what did Mark Gasol shoot? Eight, eight threes he attempted. He made four. It felt like he shot three to four threes. It felt like he – pump faked and drove successfully like four times for every three he actually took. That was something the broadcast focused on a lot. I mean, he did. I mean, the guy did shoot 40% or 50% and make four threes. So it's not like it's completely ridiculous to close out on him, but I felt like those closeouts were a little excessive, but Brooke had a, a decent game five for 10 from the field, three for seven from three leads the starters in scoring with 16 points, which is kind of a problem in itself. But George Hill and Malcolm Brogdon both did excellent, especially George Hill, I don't know what the the murmurs, thoughts, feelings were on on press row, but I can tell you on Twitter and in my heart, a lot of just late in the game in the in the overtimes and late in the fourth quarter, a very strong play one of Brogdon or Hill over Eric Bledsoe sentiment was happening. I can say for sure, within the parameters of of my my head, it was it was strong, Kane. Yeah, sure, and I, I can sort of understand that, but. I also think he's an easy scapegoat. And when you look at this game, uh, you know Bledsoe obviously really struggled. He's 3 for 16 from the field. It doesn't help that Chris Middleton was 3 for 16 from the field. In fact, those both those guys uh, obviously shoot 3 for 16, as I just said, but they were also both 1 for 6 from 3. Uh, really, really rough, rough nights from both those guys. But a couple of key turnovers for Bledsoe late that drew, uh, from what I saw on Twitter, um, quite a bit of vitriol from the Bucks fans. But hey, Bledsoe had five turnovers. You've got to look at the head of this team. Giannis had eight of his own. Uh, he was only five for 16 from the, from the field, 0 for 3 from deep, uh, only 2 for 7 from the free throw line. So, again, I, you know, I, I understand why the frustration is, is quick to come for Bledsoe, particularly when you have a guy playing so well like George Hill off the bench. But, look, George Hill played 36 minutes. Bledsoe only played 33 Bud certainly rode uh, George Hill quite a bit, and particularly in overtime when, when, when he needed to. But let's not focus all the attention on Eric Bledsoe here if you're a Bucks fan. You've got to look right across the board because it was, it was an awful night for a lot of these guys, and a lot of these guys struggled. And again, you know, when you look at this team, and we don't, I mean, this doesn't happen often for Giannis where he has a really off night like this. And uh, personally, I think a lot of credit has to go to the, to the Raptors, their defense. Uh, on the interior, really, for the whole series has been pretty strong. Giannis has yet to have that game where he really breaks loose. But tonight, they really harassed him into some turnovers, and uh, eight turnovers is is not a good number for Giannis. No, I think this is going to be a crucial game to watch film of. It felt to me 
Like there were some opportunities that the Bucks just weren't finding open shooters or cutters on those drives because you're right. I mean, I, I've been complaining on Twitter about no one giving the teams the Bucks beat credit and thus not giving the Bucks their due credit. But you know, credit to where it's due. The Raptors' defense was a lot better than it was in the first two games. They did a great job of coming inside ferociously to stop Giannis and recovering or at least blocking passing lanes enough to stop Milwaukee from uh, really killing them on those pass outs. But, you know, there's no way to take away everything entirely. It's just not how defense works. We talked about this with the Bucks a lot in terms of giving up threes to prevent shots at the rim. And I just think looking back, I think Bud and these players and the rest of the coaching staff, they're going to find some places that even this pulsing Raptors defense can be exploited. And I think the other thing, too, that's kind of nice about this game being uh, double OT is you get 50-plus minutes for Siakam and Kawhi Leonard, 45 for Marc Gasol. So, I mean, at least the Raptors had to really work to earn this victory, but still uh, a tough one, at least I, I feel, for the Bucks. Even though, you know, they're still up 2-1, still definitely a manageable series. It just always stings when you go into two overtimes and don't come away with a win, especially when we, they, we clearly know this was not the Bucks' best game. No, it wasn't. And uh, one thing I will say with that, and I was sitting there uh, in in double overtime and I was sort of talking with Matt and Eric and, and Laurie Nickel, who was, who, was, who was with the team, and, and Olivia also from the General Center. And we were, we were, I mean, I, I was just thinking to myself that, I mean, if the Bucks somehow win this game, they're going to be three nothing up in a series that they really should be down two one, and and I, I think that's the big takeaway from this. And I, I think one thing I always wonder about with this Bucks team and and how well they've responded from losses, that game one they should not have won, and you look at the fourth quarter performance from Brook Lopez in that game. Obviously, Giannis, again, is able to break free late in that game and they pinch it. Again, I think most people reasonably would look at that and say they were outplayed for the better part of three quarters, a little bit more than that. Uh, tonight was the same. And again, they find themselves in the game. They find themselves you know, in a position to potentially steal it if they can just get one of the starters to do anything. Giannis, if he can break free, and it didn't happen. But yeah, I, I, I like your point that you said they're going to look at this game closely. I think they will look at this game closely. And, and to be honest, I think they need to because while they still hold a, a nice 2-1 edge in the series, it hasn't gone all their way. And, you know, 20 turnovers tonight is only the fourth time. Uh, it's only the fourth time in the regular season and playoffs, fourth time in 94 games that the Bucks have had 20 or more turnovers, just one off their season high. Incredibly, when you look at that, the, the funny thing is that they, they were 3-0 and in games that they had 20 or more turnovers uh, this season before tonight. So it's the first time they've lost in that scenario, which is uh, you know a pretty ridiculous number. But um, yeah, I, I just think a, a lot to look at. And I, you know, I don't think the loss, even though you, you obviously you want to win, it just sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, but I think it's time for this Bucks team to try and figure out this Raptors defense because they have been struggling a little bit this series. Yeah, and I think on the one hand, you know, you mentioned that the Bucks could certainly be down 2-1 at this point. On the one hand, it's great that, you know, the this team can, can play well enough and has so many contributors that even when some guys aren't performing that they can pull out games and, you know, very nearly went up 3-0. But on the other hand, it's a little troubling to me that 
this Bucks team has not really gotten going all series. I mean, I know it's the playoffs. I know teams are very much using 100% of their bandwidth to try and make it hard for you, for you, you as the team. But still, I mean, the Bucks are, the by record, the best team in the postseason, regular season, all of it, best team in the league. At some point, I just want to see them roll like it. And we saw I, – I, I mean, there was game two, of course. But still, I mean, we talked about how Bledsoe wasn't terrific and Chris Middleton with his – understandably so with what he's asked to do on defense has been quieter as well, but it would be a very comforting, I think for Bucks fans and, and the team themselves to really have these guys roll. And by these guys, I mean, like it's great when Ursan goes off or whatever else, but I think the big three need to have a big game before this series is over. Maybe all three of them at once will be needed to win this series, but if nothing else, I mean, these guys got to get ready to be clicking on all cylinders if there's going to be a next series after this because you can't afford two of those guys not being any good against Golden State for a game. I just it's not going to work. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Chris Middleton is the tough one for me to uh, look and and this and I you know, I don't really care. Like people might say this is letting him off the hook, but I just even before the series, I understood that they, if the Bucks are going to get through the Raptors, which again, they're still on track to do. There's no no need for absolute panic stations right now. But my my thought was, if the Bucks are going to get through this series, then it's going to have to be other guys. You can't be relying on Chris Middleton for 20 points. Now, to this point, he is really, really struggling. There's no doubt about that. He's not getting his easy looks. And, and even tonight, when he did, there was a couple of open corner threes. He, he missed those. And I, I really do wonder how much fatigue is playing a factor. I asked uh, Bud that exact question tonight. And again, look, Kawhi was 11 for 25 tonight. I think for the most part, you probably would take that line. I mean, if you can keep Kawhi shooting under 50%, then you've got to be pretty happy with that. I thought Kawhi took some tough shots. We'll get into it a little bit later. He he did look like he's bothered by something. Um, But I I asked Bud after the game about how they can get him going offensively and and whether he thinks that it's, it's taking... Uh, away from his offensive game, how much he's working on the def- defensive end. And this is, he said, uh, there's no doubt Chris has got his hands full. It's a really tough cover. I think he, he's so locked in defensively. Uh, he said, the thing will bounce. He and Malcolm back and forth guarding Leonard. So hopefully Chris isn't bearing the entire, entire brunt of that being the job on Leonard. He said, offensively, like I said, uh, give, them, give them credit, Toronto, defensively he's talking about. Occasionally, Chris or us in general, we've got to make some more open looks and we get them because they're going to make it as tough as they can for Chris. So in Bud's eyes, what he's trying to say is that they're really locking down on Giannis and Chris. Some of these other guys need to step up and hit shots. And I I do really believe that. Um, Again, you would like to get uh, a a strong performance from Chris and have him have a really nice shooting night. But uh, for mine, I, I just can't get it out of my head that he must be really, really... Uh, you know, putting everything he can into stopping this guy who's one of the, the absolute elite players in the league. And I think we're seeing the effect of that on the offensive end. No, I, I, I don't disagree. I just, my thing is, you know, if Chris is going to be like three for eight, you know, with a solid amount of points or whatever, then fine, of course, sure, you, you totally get it. But, I mean, he took 16 shots, and that's that's where it starts to be a problem when you go three for 16. I think... Um. I do think it's. I think he, his struggles are the most understandable, and I, I can 
I see why Giannis is – I mean, obviously, that's like what the Raptors are doing. That's their whole thing is we're going to make life really hard for Giannis. But, I mean, I don't think anybody deserves from this game just an absolute pass. I, I think all three of them needed to be a lot better. I mean, Giannis, 23 rebounds and seven assists. It's not like he did nothing. But, as you said, eight turnovers and only scores 12 points on five for 16 shooting. I mean, it's that's almost never going to be enough for the Bucs. I mean – they have a lot of good players, of course. We know this. We've seen this. We've talked about this. But if Giannis is absolutely off, I mean, that just throws off everything. I mean, this team is built around him. And it just you just need more than that from Giannis. He has to find ways. And fouled out on a really tough call on this one. I, I, I just I couldn't help thinking if, if Giannis were the one on offense, that's, almost, that's always going to be a call to charge. But it is what it is. I don't think officiating is to blame for this one. Both teams had guys fall out. Both teams had guys in foul trouble. At the end of the day, the Bucks just couldn't make any shots, and that's a pretty tough way to win in the uh, these here playoffs. Yeah, it's interesting with that call. Uh, I, I mean, charge calls are so so tough to to really analyze, particularly in real time. Uh, I don't know how you get around this, but uh, when I was watching it happen at the arena, I was like, Giannis. Do not give the refs a chance to foul you out of this game by trying to take a charge. That's a good point. I'm like, do not do that. You cannot put yourself in that position. So, uh, and look, and and the one thing with Giannis, and this is why we love him. This is why he is the competitive monster he is and the superstar he is. He's not going to take any playoff, and he's not going to give someone a layup in double overtime uh, to protect his his foul trouble. But potentially, that's what the Bucks needed him to do. I, I'm not sure. There was such a long time left in the game. And to to you know put it in the refs' hands like that, and hey, I mean, part of me was stunned that the that the that the officials at that point in the game fouled Giannis out on a charge. It's it's a big call from the refs, and, and this is a game what that was very very physical, and yeah, yeah I mean, uh, again, you can pick that one apart as much as you want on replay. It looked like potentially it was a pretty tough call uh, to make on, on on a guy like Giannis to foul him out of the game, but. Again, you look at the full 58 minutes, and I completely agree. Look, Giannis kept the Bucks in the game in, in other ways. When you look at the rebounds, 23 boards for Giannis, keeping uh, the Raptors off that offensive glass, and a lot of those 23 were tough physical rebounds. He was really battling uh, on the glass, and the seven assists is nice, but if you're the Raptors and you look and you're like, oh, okay, well, look, Giannis is going to get a bunch of rebounds and he's going to get seven or eight assists, maybe more, but only score 12 points, then you don't really care. If you can turn Giannis into purely a facilitator and someone that is frustrated offensively and turning the ball over, then that's a big win. So, again, full credit to the to the Raptors' uh, defense on this one. They were really physical, and uh, this is something we spoke about, but if you can sort of figure out how the the officials are going to call a game, then you can defend, uh, you know, to to those early uh, calls that you see. So I, I thought that this was an extremely physical game, and I, I don't think we should act like like the Raptors weren't called for anything. I mean, when you look at it, obviously Norman Powell fouls out, uh, Kyle Lowry fouls out again. Gasol had five at the end. Van Fleet had five in the end. I mean, they were getting called for fouls, but uh, I think that Giannis, with how physical he is and how physical he was down in the paint, then, again, I think you could probably look at this game and say he should have got to the line more than he did. And, you know, for him to be in there doing the work that he was doing and only getting seven free throws, to me, is pretty 
curious. And Bud, after the game, Bud's not a guy that really goes after the refs in the post-game press conference. That's just not his style. But uh, he did say that he thought maybe Giannis could get to the line a little bit more. And he said when he's playing so physical and in there for so often, how he could only have... Uh, how we could not have a free throw attempt through three quarters is pretty hard to figure out, and yeah. I, I have to I have to agree with him. I'm not sure how that's actually possible, but uh, but finished by saying but but finished by saying maybe he needs to be even more aggressive. I'm not sure how that's that's humanly possible, but <laughs> it was it was it was a tough night. Yeah, I mean, and there's one other thing we need to talk about right now, and that's traveling. And you know what kind of traveling we talk about here on the Eurostep. We talk about traveling with Harry's Razors. Harry's Razors is helping Blue Wire listeners with a better shaving experience, Kane. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes your five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and the travel blade cover. That's the only kind of traveling we're here to talk about, I think. I, I, I don't really have much to say about other alleged traveling. Uh, enough with the cheap razors. Go try Harry's now. It's just $3 for our loyal listeners. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. So Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for more than 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. Every blade comes with 100% quality guaranteed. Guaranteed. If you don't love your shave, let Harry's know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. And that's all the traveling, the, just the travel case. That's the only traveling I think is really worth talking about, Ken. Yeah, no. As, as I said earlier, I'm on the road and... You need you need those types of things with you when you're traveling. Uh, that's for sure. So, uh, you know, you, there's no one in the business that does the uh, <laughs> the Harry's ad reads better than you. And I keep saying that, but I'll continue to say that until uh, I see someone step up to the plate. But it hasn't happened yet. I'm number one shill. Nobody even tried. This is my this is my thing. <laughs> All right, let's let's talk about the other guys for the Raptors, okay? Because. After game two, and obviously the Bucks blow out the Raptors in game two, we're questioning who the hell is going to step up for the Raptors? And are these guys even capable of stepping up and, and, and making shots and doing good things? I think we found out pretty early in this one that there was a couple of guys that were ready to to contribute, and, and it started with Marcus Gasol. He had a couple of threes uh, in, the, in the first quarter, and, and I think maybe playing at home helped Gasol a little bit because... Obviously, it's a crazy crowd uh, at, at Scotiabank Arena in, in Toronto, and, and they were uh, very, very loud the whole way through, and it helps when you get off to a quick start like the Raptors did. But to me, it looked like they helped Gasol a little bit, uh, giving him confidence to shoot the ball because he, he's someone that looked more and more hesitant the, the longer Game 1 and Game 2 went on. As you already pointed out, he finishes 4 for 8 and hit a really, really big one in overtime. Uh, for the Raptors, he finished with 16 points, 12 boards. He got seven assists as well on five blocks. So uh, Gasol sort of answered the critics uh, uh, pretty significantly in this one. Uh, obviously, they get 25 and 11 from Siakam as well, who's been pretty well contained to this point. Uh, he seemed to 
to get off the chain a little bit, able to finish around the rim a lot. He was uh, he was impressive tonight. And then another guy who is not unfamiliar to Bucks fans uh, of doing damage in the playoffs, Norman Powell, had a pretty good game too, even though the, the Raptors were blown out. And Nick Nurse hinted before the game that he was going to play more. He played more. He played 29 minutes and had 19 points, uh, three for five from three, and continually came up with big shots when the Bucks were trying to get over that hump and get the lead. Uh, they had some real contributors tonight. Yeah, it was. I think it's interesting. This is this felt like the biggest collaborative effort for the Raptors so far. Yeah, they still only have five guys who could really play. Um, it, it's it's discouraging that you know the Bucks let so many of these guys do well. But you look at the, those five guys. I mean, Siakam finally got off to a good game. I think it, impressive for him in that. I thought his success mostly in this series felt like it came with Ersan guarding him, and Bud really limited Ersan's minutes in this game. Only 13 for Turkish Thunder after his massive game two, but he did have four fouls, so that's part of that's on Ersan. But didn't really get yeah. He just just quickly. I mean, he he came into the game early and picked up two fouls in about 30 seconds, which probably put him on the back foot. But yeah, you you do think? I mean, Lopez playing. Pretty well, and I know I was harsh. I said all, all five starters are bad. I thought Lopez was pretty good. I, I do tend to agree with what you said. I think maybe that had more to do with that. Do you think? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's only so many minutes for big guys, and I mean, we've yeah. joked about it, but you're not actually going to play Lopez, Giannis, Miritich, Ilyasova all together. I mean, it's a little too big unless you're playing like Detroit or some team that just cannot shoot. But the Raptors are not that team. Uh, they showed that, but tonight by shooting nearly 38 percent on 45 attempted triples, but. You look at um, Siakam had a good game, 25 points, second-leading scorer. You already talked about Norm. Kawhi got his 36. Lowry puts up 11 in, in somewhat limited minutes because he fouls out. But he, he did this typical Kyle Lowry stuff. And then Marcus Hall had 16. And besides that, Serge Ibaka has five on two-for-nine shooting. He feels only sort of playable in this series. I mean, he was minus three in this game. Uh, Danny Green and Fred Van Vliet. But I don't don't really know what's up with either of these guys. I mean, they're not neither of them are players you look at and go, oh, they're terrific. But you figure at home, guys like that are just equipped to go off. They combine shoot two for twenty from the field, two for fourteen from three. They're only makes from from three point range, three points each total. Just awful evenings, and I just gotta wonder. I mean. If they can't get anything out of any of those guards that aren't named Kyle Lowry, and that, that's really it. That's really all the, the only guard they've gotten anything out of. You just wonder how they could string together more wins. I mean, clearly, they, they the Raptors were able to get more players involved. The Bucks need to worry a little bit more about Mark Gasol than they did through two games, I think. that That's pretty apparent now. But still, sort of a red flag for Toronto that they haven't gotten anything out of some of these other guys who – you know, play major minutes and, and need to play a big role on their team. Yeah, Danny Green's an interesting one for mine. I mean, he, he's still a guy to me uh, that when he shoots the ball or when he's open, I just feel like it's going to go in. And I, I guess that's just uh, from watching him play for so long and seeing him hit big shots. But damn, he is in a, he is in a rut right now. But uh, again, he, he hit the – and this is this is the thing that, that that's frustrating for the Bucks. these guys – Obviously, are having uh, awful, awful, awful games. Van Fleet and Green that you, you touched on, but Danny Green uh, hits the big three, three thirty-two left in the first overtime, breaks the ninety-six ninety-six tie, 
and all the people around me on press row sort of threw their heads back. They're like, what just happened? Danny Green hit a three in overtime after he's missed every shot he's taken so far. And, and we, we, should, we should point out that. And I, I think um, we've sort of been caught up with, with how uh, bad the Bucks shooting was. But, you know, the Raptors, they've got a couple of guys there that if they start hitting shots, then maybe they do blow out the Bucks. Like It felt like they should have tonight. Uh, but overall, the Raptors shoot. It's interesting. I mean, they shoot 17 for 45, 37% from three. But if I can do some quick math here, that's two. For, if you take two for 14, so they were 15 for 31 uh, outside of Green and Van Fleet. So, they, so the other guys outside of those two shoot 50% from three, and it certainly felt that way as we were watching the game. Yeah, it did. Um, like we already mentioned, Gasol Lowry again, pretty good shooting night. Uh, three for six from him. He's just hitting shots. I mean, it's this is. I mean, he's he can shoot threes. There's no question about that. But is he a guy that you expect to to be you know uh, blazing away at fifty percent through the series? Probably not. No, I I think I think some of. I mean, we talked about you know those, some of those guys' shots will fall eventually. You, you think at least you hope if you're a Raptors fan between Danny Green and Vlad Vliet, but FVV not helping himself with some of his shot selection. Mm-hmm. I mean. Not a tall guy by any means for NBA standards. You don't think of him as a very strong player, but this guy loves to pull up like several feet behind the arc. And you just wonder, like, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to lie. I haven't watched a ton of Fred Van Vliet film. I don't know if that's something he usually or, or regularly does, but it just seems like it's kind of a shot that's out of his depth. And you saw him do it multiple times in this game. And just like, is that really what you want to do to try to break out of a slump is a, 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 an attempt from that far back? Yeah, uh, he took some shots tonight from areas that I was very confused about. I, I don't really know how else to explain that. But for the Bucks, they're very happy with that. It was interesting, though. So one thing I want to get to now, uh, Nick Nurse spoke a lot about uh, changing lineups and potentially using some some different looks. I, I think a lot of people probably assume that meant uh, starting lineup. It didn't. It didn't end up working out that way. But there was some. There was some interesting matchups that they went with to start the game. So Kyle Lowry was predominantly defending Chris Middleton, and uh, Leonard on Giannis obviously is is the key matchup to look at. But Pascal Siakam on Eric Bledsoe was interesting to me because this is something that I've been wondering about for quite a while, and uh, I've been curious as to why teams even give Bledsoe the chance to blow by them on the perimeter. Because at this point, if you can get Eric Bledsoe shooting from the perimeter, then for mine, until he proves you wrong, that's a big, big win for the opposition, in this case, Toronto. So with the Raptors uh, using Pascal Siakam as the defender on Eric Bledsoe, then uh, he can give Bledsoe a little bit of space. He's also got quick enough feet that he can, you know, at least give Bledsoe some trouble if he does try to blow by him. But he, the, big, the big thing is Siakam can be a, a dangerous defender in help situations because if the Raptors have to choose a guy at the Bucks starting lineup that they want shooting the ball, right now it's Eric Bledsoe. And I, I think this is where the Bucks are going to have to uh, think through how they come into game four. Yeah, uh, I think that's poignant. I wanted to talk starters and, I think a lot of people 
think that the change would be Brogdon for uh, Miritich, which, I mean, that is the logical one. And just shout out to uh, our Discord channel, the Euro group. Somebody in here tonight, Cowboy of Space, asked, Brogdon has to start next game, right? Question mark. I think there's a lot of reason to do that. I mean, that's this is sort of the issue and the thing that is a little bit of a bummer about Bledsoe and playoff situations on the Bucks because the whole point of the whole team all year has been space around Giannis. So if Giannis has the space, the teams are put in a, a terrible dilemma where either you, you help to guard him because you pretty much have to, and leave a shooter open, or you let him cook, and he just dunks on people. And when Bledsoe and Giannis play together, there's just not as much space. Nobody's worried about him shooting the three, and, I mean, he hasn't given anyone any reason to be worried. He is one for six tonight. He feels like he's about, I don't know, three for his last 40. I don't. That's not a real stat. It might be close to that, though. It's not not good. Um, I tweeted after the game, the fact that he attempted six frustrates me more than the fact that he only made one of them. But like you said, I mean, the Raptors clearly played him into shooting some of those looks all, all night long. But you do wonder if this team started one of George Hill or Malcolm Brogdon instead of Eric Bledsoe, all of a sudden, then you have four very effective shooters around Giannis. It would seem like it would open things up a bit for this Bucks offense. Yeah, I mean, I look at, at this point. I, I just don't see that they're going to take Bledsoe out. I, I I do think that he still. I mean, the big thing the big thing for the Bucks is if you want Bledsoe to be a guy that is really dictating how this game goes and how the Bucks uh, are performing on the night, then you have to get in transition. And I, I just didn't think the Bucks did that. I, I thought that early in the game there were there was just a, a number of lazy passes. They were trying to they tried a number of just ridiculous pocket passes. There was a number of times where they they drove the ball and Bledsoe did it a couple of times. He wasn't alone. Uh, Giannis himself tried it. Where they were getting to the paint, getting to the position where you can either take a tough contested shot, you can either kick it out to a shooter, or you can try and dump it off to to the another guy under the basket. They tried that dump off pass multiple times, turned the ball over. Look, the, if you want Bledsoe, as I said, to be a positive contributor for this team, they need he needs to be dictating the pace of the game and putting pressure on the opposition defense in transition. That didn't happen tonight. And as I said, I, I think we're finally starting to see a Raptors team that is like, hey, Bledsoe, keep shooting. Keep shooting because if, 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 that's, if that's the shot you're going to take, then we're eliminating what, what you are doing best on this team. And that's, as I said, dictating the pace, getting the uh, opposition defense on the back foot, working in tandem with Giannis. Who, and we know when those two are running together, the Bucks look virtually unstoppable. So Bledsoe right now is four for his last 26 from three. Uh, that's going back to game... Well, actually, sorry, after, after night, that's five for 32 from three. That's going back to game four in Boston. So, I mean, at this point, if you're the Raptors, you want that guy. Just give him give him as much space as he wants because uh, at the moment you have to question how how far uh, this is in Bledsoe's head right now. He's just – it's weird. It's not something we really saw that much at all in the regular season. I mean, he would have his ups and downs from three-point range, but 
I mean, at least maybe I, I just don't remember because the, the focus wasn't that intense on it. And, you know, there were bad teams sprinkled in. It wasn't, you know, all these playoff teams, obviously, one after each other. But I just don't remember him slumping quite like this. And, you know, like you said, you can – I'm not saying you don't play Eric Bledsoe, of course. I mean, you have to. He's, he's too good. He's too crucial to the team. I, I wouldn't suggest that. But there are noticeable lulls sometimes where – you know, something kind of like what I, I mentioned earlier. I mean, the Bucks just were getting some good penetration at times into that second level of the defense and then not finding what to do after that. So either turning the ball over with a bad pass, we saw a lot of that early and throughout the night, or just going for, you know, a shot at the rim when the Raptors are set, which is really tough to do. And a lot, some of those Mark Gasol blocks, some other just missed shots resulted from that. You know, sometimes that ball swings out and finds Eric Bledsoe and, you know, I don't. I don't think anyone right now on the box feels real good about that being the result of a, a half court set when he's shooting a three. And then I, I, I saw, and I don't know how intentional this was, but at least once, I think it was Malcolm Brogdon driving, and I felt like he kind of looked over and saw that Bledsoe was there, and he either tried to make a different, more complicated pass, a different direction, or went for the shot. I don't remember which. I know it didn't work, and I wondered at the time, like. Did he kind of look over there and see that it was it was Bledsoe and go, oh, this isn't really the shot we want right now? I don't know. I'm not not assuming Malcolm Brogdon's thoughts on a drive. I mean, there's a lot going on very quickly, and who knows what he wanted to do the whole time. But just something I, I did notice, it kind of gums up the works a little bit sometimes. I mean, he needs to be more effective attacking the basket, certainly. And and as you said, transition kind of heals all wounds for this Bucks team. So much of what they do. On offense starts with good defense, but there clearly need to be some more half-court solutions for this team because, you know, you're not going to get every single bucket, uh, every single possession in transition, unfortunately, and, you know, unless the defense is really just going wild like it did in game two. Yeah, and that, and that starts with quick decisions for the Bucks, and, and I, I think sometimes, and this has been a theme through the season, and obviously, I mean, they didn't lose a lot of games, but in the games they did lose, I think you could always look and say, yeah, I, I thought the Bucks' ball movement slowed down. I thought the decision-making was slow. And I, I think we saw quite a bit of that tonight. The Bucks were going uh, deep in the shot clock, deeper in the shot clock than they'd like, settling for, for more difficult shots than they'd like. So, you know, again, this is something that Bud always talks about after they lose. They need to get into the second and third and fourth actions. And if it's not working the first time, don't just leave it to Giannis to dribble the ball out and, and take a tough shot. Don't just dump the ball to Chris Middleton with a few seconds left in the shot clock. You need to keep guys moving, keep the ball moving. But listen, I, I mean, we've been going for 35 minutes now, and I think for the most part it's been largely negative, and I think there's I think there's great reason for that. I mean, it, it wasn't a great night for the Bucs, but uh, I do think there was, a, there was a couple of positives, and I think they're the two obvious positives. And we've spoke so much about George Hill that – I don't know what else there is to say about this guy. He's been obviously an incredible addition to the team. 24 points tonight uh, to go with uh, seven rebounds, a couple of assists, a couple steals, seven for nine from the field. He was ridiculous. A couple of big threes uh, in the overtime period. See, every time the Bucks needed a big shot, he just he just got the job done. This guy is uh, just, I mean, he, as I said, I, I don't even know what to say about him anymore. He, he's been so big in the postseason defensively. And, and turned into this uh, real powerful scorer off the bench. And we saw it late in the regular season that his confidence was starting to get there. But again, tonight on a night where things really uh, weren't going well for the Bucks, he was 
just a guy that didn't make mistakes. 36 minutes, only one turnover for George Hill. But the guy I really want to talk about is is Malcolm Brockton because this is a guy that in his fourth game back now, uh, seen his minutes steadily increase. He played 36 minutes tonight for 20 points, uh, five rebounds. And in those 36 minutes, only two turnovers for him. So you talk about two guys that are probably a couple of the more karma players on the team. They never really seem to get too rattled uh, in the situation. But it's fair to say, without George Hill and particularly this guy, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, this game would have been pretty ugly. And, and uh, I don't think we could have even, in our most optimistic hopes, think that Brogdon would come back looking this good. No, definitely not. I mean, it's it's wowing every time. And I, I can't agree more with what you said about George Hill. I don't know how much more there is to say. I mean, how about nailing those clutch free throws after missing a couple of crucial ones last year in Cleveland in the playoffs? I mean, talk about not letting a moment get to you. I mean, he went to the line, and I just I was like, I just exhaled, like, oh my goodness, like what a what a tough moment this is going to be for him if he misses one. Like, imagine the pressure, and he just knocks him down like it's nothing. He's the stately George Hill, I'll say. But uh, Brogdon, I think, you know, his shooting is crucial. He continues to hit three point shots, three for eight tonight. The thing about him, though, and this is something that you know everyone talks about, but it just pops so often is how easily he slices through to that second level of defense. I mean, I talked about guys driving and not necessarily making the right calls. I mean, that happened with Brogdon sometimes. As you said, only two turnovers. He does shoot eight for 17 from the field, which isn't terrific. Five for nine from, th- from two, which, I mean, not really bad. I don't think – no one watching this game certainly was like, oh, it was Malcolm Brogdon's fault they lost. But – I think it's a credit to him. He even gets to that second level so often. It opens up so much for these Bucks. I just think I, you 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 nailed it too when saying, you know, what Bud talks about after these losses like this. It's something that I'll I'll refer to as just the Bucks need to play like the Bucks to win, and and playing like the Bucks now means moving the ball, turning good shots into great shots. I think the end of two OT it was the most evident. Felt like. Just not a lot happening on offense, which, I mean, I get it. Everyone's drained. It's double overtime. But still, I mean, it's just you could see the things not developing as they should have. A lot of drives in the guys. I think Lopez's where he gets stuffed was the most evident because he had – can't remember if it was Brogdon or Middleton in the corner, but it's the it's the obvious corner pass and pretty wide open guy there, and he just misses it and tries to go in for a pretty wild dunk for 40 minute in a game, Brooke Lopez. But – I just think, you know, those are the things that are going to jump out to this team. I think we're going to see hopefully a nice response like we did the last time they lost in the playoffs. And it uh, seems like there is certainly room to go up from here. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, it would be really hard, um, very, very hard to sort of imagine the Buck starters as a group uh, shooting that poorly uh, again. And as we all know, the Bucks only lost back-to-back games once all season. Uh, in the 94 games they've played, they've only lost back-to-back games once. So, uh, And the Phoenix Suns ain't coming through that door. And they are playing Toronto, which is the great news that it's not the Phoenix Suns because we know if they're playing the Suns, it was a guaranteed loss. So <laughs> Bucks will get a chance to, to bounce back. Uh, Bud said that they're going to take a... A really good look at the film, and I think me and you have hinted through this that that might be a good idea for Milwaukee just to get themselves uh, back on track here. 
they only get one day, and that's the that's the beauty of this series at the moment. Uh, only one day off between each game, which I, I think in general the players like. Maybe, as you touched on, the longer this series goes, potentially the fatigue will uh, add up for the Raptors. 52 minutes tonight for Leonard, 51 for Siakam, and, and Leonard looks pretty hobbled tonight, and, and Nick Nurse didn't give much away about that after the game, but it'll be interesting to see uh, how he looks coming out in, in Game 4. But Game 4 will be in Toronto again. A little bit of a later tip-off for for a weekday game. It's uh, seven thirty central for those for those in Milwaukee and Ty. What's I mean, you know, at this point, this game turns into a pretty big <laughs> a pretty big game. All of a sudden, when when the Bucks take a two zero lead and win game uh, two by by twenty plus, you're feeling pretty good. But now, if the Raptors can hold home court, then we've really got a series. Yeah, we do. Um, what, the saying is, it's not a series until the road game road team wins one, right? Mm-hmm. I I agree with you. I mean, it is clearly it's a series now. It would certainly be a series if it becomes two two. But there's a lot of avenues to go from two two to Bucks and six, which obviously is a desired outcome for a lot of people. I think Bucks and anything is a desired outcome for most listeners of this podcast. But even if the Raptors were to win another one. Bucks still in the driver's seat, but that said, there's no reason to let it get there, especially, I mean, we talked about it. This game was close. A lot of key Bucks didn't play well at all. In fact, they played, I'll, I'll go out on a limb and say it, they played poorly. Bold take from Ty Windish. You can write that one down. Um, just, I'm going to hit you with the last second question here, Kane. I think we're about ready to wrap up, unless you have anything else after this, which of course we can talk about that as well. But do you think... Mike Budenholzer will change his starting lineup once again as we head into game four. Uh, no. <laughs> That's... It would not would not shock me if he didn't. I wouldn't be shocked if he did either. I, it, I, I could go either way on it personally. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, that's, that's tough. I, I'm not confident about that, no. Um, but I... Don't think. I mean, if the, if the change is going to come, it's going to be Brogdon for Miritich. I mean, there's no question about that. Yeah. But I mean, that, that that's what's going to happen. But I, I'm just not sure whether that Miritich for Brogdon swap really. I mean, is that what is that what the problem was? I I don't know about that. I, I think that uh, for the Bucks again, they they just need to. Uh, Make smarter decisions. Giannis needs to stay patient, and this is something we always talk about. If you can get Giannis trying to force things a little bit, I think we saw a little bit of that tonight. Eight turnovers, obviously, not good enough for him. Uh, it's all about patience, ball movement, making smart decisions, quick decisions, getting out in transition every opportunity, and the Bucks are going to be fine. I, I look, I could certainly see a way that Brogdon starts, and I would have no complaints about Brogdon starting, but uh, equally. Uh, you know, I think that that, that the Bucks have, have played well with Miritich in the starting lineup. I think Miritich defensively has been respectable enough that it's it's not a, a major problem. But uh, you know, I mean, if the Bucks aren't going to make sh- hit shots and aren't going to hit open shots, I I mean, that's where it starts. Yeah, it doesn't really matter who starts if uh, nobody's knocking down their their shots. I I agree with you there. Well, uh, that, on that note, I, I think that we have dissected this one as much as we could. 
obviously uh, a difficult night for the Bucks. They fall 118-112 in double overtime. The Eastern Conference Finals is now 2-1 in the Bucks' favor, and we stay in Toronto uh, Tuesday night, 7.30 Central, as I said, tip-off as the Bucks try to take a commanding 3-1 lead, but we now have a series, and I, I think that's exciting for... Most basketball fans, probably not Bucks fans, but it is 2-1. It's a series, and the Bucks have a little bit to think about before they come back on, on, on Tuesday night. So, Ty, thank you for staying up. It is 1 o'clock here in Toronto, and we have found a way to knock this one out of after a pretty uh, draining game of basketball. We did. We, uh, we persevered through it. We, uh, we blasted through overtime just like the players. Neither of us fouled out of this podcast, fortunately. <laughs> couple questionable calls on you but i'm glad you you managed to play through it you didn't didn't draw any more whistles so thank you kane thank you everyone for listening please subscribe rate review everything else and uh thank you drake for waving Giannis off the floor and uh giving everyone some meme material uh later on in the series 